As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. The rule of thumb here would be you want to see rental rates increasing by 2 to 3% every year in the years prior, maybe the five years leading up. And then... 2 to 3% annually in the future is ideal. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template 
should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode and for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com or to learn more about the apartment syndication school, go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hello, best of your listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndications. As always, I'm your host, Theo Hicks. Each week, we air a podcast episode that focuses on a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy. And for a lot of these episodes, especially the first batch of episodes we released, say first 50 or so episodes, we gave away some free resources, free documents with those. So make sure you go to syndicationschool.com, check out some of those earlier episodes, as well as more recent episodes too, and download all of those free documents we gave away. Very helpful when starting and growing your apartment syndication business. Today we're going to kick off a series, most likely going to be a three-part series, on some red flags when underwriting an apartment syndication deal. So I wrote a very long blog post from the perspective of the limited partners on identifying holes or red flags when reviewing an investment summary document. The idea is that your passive investors are not going to be experts on real estate investing. And the purpose of you creating the investment summary is to provide them with that data that you know how to find in a simple summarized format so that they don't need to go out there and do it themselves, right? They can just trust that you pulled the correct information and that you've included everything that you need to include on the investment summary, all the data that they need in order to determine how to invest. But you might have some passive investors who will simply scroll down to your return section and say, okay, they're offering a 20% IRR, a 15% IRR, and a 10% preferred return. So yeah, I like those returns. I'm going to invest. Whereas on the other hand, on the other side of the spectrum, you might have passive investors who read every single word of the investment summary and then send you an email with a bunch of follow-up questions they have on where you got these numbers from, why isn't this included in here, things like that. And so what I wanted to do for this syndication school series was to talk about the same concept of red flags when underwriting, making an investment summary, but from the perspective of you, the GP, the sponsor, the apartment syndicator, so that you can make sure you're including all of the relevant information in not only your investment summary, but also in the conference call. And so we've done episodes in the past on the new investment offering conference call, 
how to put together an investment summary, but this is going to expand upon that and go over when you're reading your investment summary or when you're making your investment summary, what to think about, how to proactively address things that your very detailed, meticulous, passive investor is going to ask. So I've broken these into a couple of categories. So we've got market red flags, business plan red flags, projected return red flags, debt red flags, purchase and sales assumptions red flags, pro forma red flags, rental and sales comparable property red flags, and then some other miscellaneous red flags that do not really fall in well other categories. And so obviously some of these are red flags that would come up based off of things you've done prior to identifying a deal. So I guess we're going to be covering more than just the deal, but also the market a little bit, as well as the, the business plan. And now keep in mind that the three risk points of the deal are going to be the market, the business plan, and the team. So I'm mostly going to be talking about a little bit about the market. When it comes to the team, we have other episodes on that and how to make sure you're setting yourself up for success based off of your background and experience and knowledge, your partner, and the other various team members. But mostly this is going to focus on, okay, I've identified a deal. I'm making the investment summary. How do I make sure that I can, number one, save time without having to answer much of questions from my past investors because I left some things out? And two, how can I make sure that not only am I addressing those concerns, but in the eyes of the passive investor, they see this opportunity and think that it's a good deal. So let's start off with the market. So obviously the market is going to be the geographic location that the subject property is located in. So obviously the first red flags for your market would be if they don't meet the criteria we talked about in the previous indications of episodes on qualifying the market. So the first thing would be the overall population. So are the people in the market going to be your customers, right? If you're selling some widget, then you need to figure out who your demographic is that's going to buy this widget. Those are your customers, right? So in this case, your widget is not a widget, but an apartment unit. And in order to determine how many customers you have, and if your customer brace is growing or shrinking, you need to know what the population stats are historically, and then the projected population stats for that market. So obviously, the more people that are in the market, the more people that are competing for apartments, and the higher the rents go. The less people competing for apartments, then you as an operator would need to do lower rents or offer concessions to attract the limited customer base. So you want to see a positive net migration, which is more people moving in than are moving out. And if it's not the case, if it's stagnant or shrinking, then that's going to be a red flag. So if you don't include any information about the population in your investment summary, by default, your past investor is probably going to think that, well, there's a reason why they're not including that. And it's because the population isn't growing or it's shrinking. So make sure that number one, you're investing in a market that's growing. And then when you are, include that information in your investment summary. Same thing for rental rates. Same idea. You want to see an increase historically and forecasted in rental rates in the average or median rent for the market. And then if it's decreasing or stagnant, then that's an issue. So the rule of thumb here would be you want to see rental rates increasing by 2 to 3% every year in the years prior, maybe the five years leading up. And then two to 3% annually in the future is ideal. 
we'll talk a little bit more about those percentages and where those come into play in part two or part three when we talk about the rental comparable properties. Another important factor when analyzing a market is the absorption rate. So another red flag would be a market with a low absorption rate. So like the population, like the rental rates, the absorption rate indicates the supply and demand of a market. So for multifamily, for apartments, the absorption rate is going to be the measure of newly created apartments that have been rented over three months. And so for Q1, how many new apartments came online? And then of those apartments that came online, what percentage of those were rented in that three-month period? So you're never going to see a 100% absorption rate, right? Because that means that every single unit that came online during that three months, including the one that came online the day before that three-month period ended was rented, that's not going to happen. So when it comes to the absorption rate, there's two things you want to look at. Number one, you want to look at the absolute absorption rate for the market. And even more ideally, much greater than the national average absorption rate for multifamily. But then just like the rental rates in the population, you also want to take a look at the trends. So you want to take a look at the historical trend. Where is the absorption rate going based off of where it's been? And you want to see an absorption rate that is increasing, which again, indicates that there's more and more competition, more and more customers to fulfill the supply that's coming online. Whenever you see a low absorption rate or a decreasing absorption rate, it may indicate that the market is in or entering into a state of hypersupply. So they're building too fast. Too many new apartments are coming online compared to the demand for apartments, whereas the opposite case is that they can't keep up with the demand. And so typically, if it's hard to build new apartment units, you're going to see a very high absorption rate. So low absorption rate, pretty big red flag and might be something that you want to consider including in your investment summary. And of course, there's other demographic information as well, like unemployment and economic diversity and things like that. So same thing, any positive aspect of the market, you want to include that in your investment summary. Why did you pick this market? Why do you like this market? (laughs) Let them know in as much detail as possible. Now, another thing to consider, this is number four on my list, is not including neighborhood or sub-market level data. So if you remember, to let you know that in the episodes where we talked about analyzing and qualifying the target market, you start off by looking at the overall MSA and city level data. So you look at Dallas-Fort Worth, Houston, Orlando, and Tampa. It covers a pretty large geographic area. And we kind of want to take a look at what's the average demographic, economic data, employment data for all the submarkets in that overall MSA. And then after we pick the top MSAs, then we say, okay, well, the averages are really high here. So let's dig into more detail to figure out which neighborhoods are actually exceeding that already high average. And then those are the neighborhoods and the submarkets that we want to target. So you don't want to just stop at the MSA or the city level. You want to take it a step further and go down into the submarket. And then in these really big markets, these really big MSAs, you want to dig into the neighborhood level detail as well. So for the population trends, for the rental trends, the unemployment, absorption, economic, employment data, you not only highlight 
again, the overall MSA, but also the neighborhood and talk about how much better this neighborhood is than the already better total MSA. Because what happens is if you just focus on Dallas-Fort Worth or Tampa-St. Petersburg-Clearwater, your passive investors aren't going to know, well, okay, you're not buying an apartment that's a million units covering the entire state. You're investing in a particular neighborhood. So what are the demographics there? Is the population growing there or is it decreasing? So the savvy passive investor is going to put up an alarm in their mind if you don't highlight and focus on the actual neighborhood. And to make sure for the absorption rate, they might not have the absorption rate for neighborhood level, but at least the rental rates, the population, unemployment, things like that, you should find data for the neighborhood first. And then make sure you're including that information in the investment summary to proactively address that in the minds of your investors. If you don't, well, that's a red flag. Now, something else that's important that we haven't talked about, and it's kind of a subset of the population, which is going to be the population age or the dominant generation in, again, the overall market, but also in the submarket. So right now we've got on the younger end, Gen Z and the higher end baby boomers. And in between that is millennials and Generation X. And all four of those generations want and desire different types of rental housing. So when a savvy passive investor is looking at your deal, they're not just going to see, okay, well, the overall population is growing. That's great. Well, no. I want to know what parts of that population are growing and which parts of that are actually shrinking. So they want to know who is this apartment indicator targeting with their product? Who's going to be their end customer? And then based off of who the end customer is, what is the population trend for that group of people? And then based off of that, okay, so... They're targeting millennials. Millennials are growing. Okay, well, is this property going to fit the needs of millennials or fit the needs of the baby boomers, right? After, obviously, all the renovations and upgrades are done. So these need to match. The target demographic needs to be growing and a large chunk of the portion of total population in the target market and the property needs to match their needs. So for an example of a mismatch would be if I plan on buying a class B property and then the plan is to add a super high tech amenities, make it a really smart type eco experience with maybe smaller unit sizes, but very large common areas, basketball courts, and a lot of fitness related things, and maybe having things for families or something when the population expected to grow by 10% are baby boomers, right? That's not going to be the best match. Whereas if those were Gen Z or millennials, then sure, that might be a good match. So those are actually just five red flags. And I think I said I've got 26 red flags. So we're going to stop there. This will conclude part one where we talked about the market red flags. In part two, we're going to start off by talking about some business plan red flags, which will include red flags about the projected returns you present as well. And then we'll probably focus on the debt red flags as well. And then we might get into the purchase and sales assumptions, red flags. And then we'll conclude in part three with pro forma red flags, rental and sales comparable red flags, and then some of those other miscellaneous red flags that didn't fit into any of the other categories. So that will conclude this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you check out some of the other syndications global episodes we have so far, as well as those free documents at syndicationschool.com.
Thank you for listening. Have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellyn.com forward slash show. That's dwellyn.com forward slash show.